farm gate price for olive flour is uh, sometimes $20 per kilo and the lowest time about $12 per kilo. Market situation is very good, but the margin for farmers is not so big at the moment because of high mortality. We fix this high mortality and then also high standard product we can produce. And then there is a huge potential for farming business in Korea. Welcome to RAS Talk, the podcast on recirculating aquaculture systems and sustainable food production. Brought to you by RASTAC Magazine, the premier publication for recirculating aquaculture systems professionals. This episode is sponsored by OxyGuard International. Secure, grow, evolve. Improve your production with tailored and targeted technology. Hello again, my name is Jean Coden, editor of Hatchery International and RASTAC Magazine. And with me as my co-host is Brian Vinci, director of the Freshwater Institute. Hi, Brian. Hi, Jane. Great to be with you on the podcast again for another interesting episode on a project in Asia. Yeah, very interesting. We are looking into South Korea's first commercial RAS project. Dr. Woo Jai Lee is the founder and CEO of Blue Gen Korea. This new recirculating aquaculture farm is about 2,000 metric tons of annual capacity to raise olive flounder, also known as Japanese halibut or hirame for the sushi lovers out there. Um, It's a small farm compared to other commercial projects we've talked about on this podcast, Brian. Uh, But what do you think about the project? I thought the podcast and the Blue Gen project was super interesting. And even doing my homework for this episode, just looking into olive flounder in Korea and Asia, uh, this is a species that started in the 1980s in Korea, only being produced to about 3,800 metric tons per year, moving up to 2007 at uh, 44,000 metric tons per year. That's just an exponential growth. And on the episode, we'll hear that the latest numbers for olive flounder uh, last year were around 37,000 metric tons, which mm-hmm. although down from uh, 10 years ago, is still an order of magnitude greater than when it started. So it's a real growth for the species. Wujai told us that most of the farmers are small, somewhere in the 100 to 200 metric tons per year per farm range, but there are a lot of them, 700 farmers. And so it's similar to other industries that we've talked about that are transitioning to RAS. They have similar concerns with disease and water, the cost of pumping water, and then the concerns with effluent being discharged to the nearshore ocean. So while a, a common thread runs through a lot of these RAS projects and industry conversions to RAS, um, this one was unique and is unique in that it's a flatfish, and there are uh, maybe one or two other flatfish species that are raised uh, in RAS, sole and turbot. And uh, this one, a la flounder, is, uh, I think, essentially new uh, for RAS. So Mm -hmm. I thought that was really interesting. How about you? With RAS technology, I feel like it's easy to really associate the technology with, you know, Atlantic salmon and salmonids in general. But to really look into these projects that are really bold in terms of trying new species and trying new markets, it really reminds me of how new the technology is and how there are so many firsts that are happening still in the industry. Absolutely. And we'll hear from Ujai about uh, his experience uh, in breeding and genomics and then starting 
Blue Gen and, and how this is, as you said, the first commercial size RAS in Korea. But for some of our listeners out there, they might remember that Korea does have a history of folks working on water treatment for recirculation aquaculture systems. And a few folks that I know from the, the Wayback Machine, uh, Dr. Inbei Kim and his IBK system was something that was developed in Korea based on a, a, essentially a submerged fixed film biofilter, which, um, you know, is, is a filter that's used in today's RAS and salmon RAS around the world and a different flavor of it. So yeah, it's new, but there are a lot of folks who put uh, good work into developing technologies around the world and including folks in Korea. Yeah, absolutely. I can't wait for our listeners to hear it. So let's get started. Please enjoy the RAS Talk podcast with Wu Jai Lee. Welcome, Wu Jai, and thank you for coming on to our podcast. Thank you for inviting me and it's nice to meet you again. Yes, we're happy to have you. Now, before we get into the origins of the Blue Gen project, I understand that you have some news to share about um, the technology provider of the project. Yes. Uh, uh, finally, last we got the agreement signed and with the Norwegian uh, Russian technology provider, SHIFT. Uh, SHIFT stands for Super Intensive Farming Technology. We have talked uh, for almost two months uh, before we signed on the agreement. And then we announced uh, uh, everything is in, in, in order and then, then we can start the project now. Yeah, we wrote a story earlier today, actually, based on the announcement. And there's some really interesting photos there that I'll um, that I'll share with our listeners. But can you tell us a little bit about that process of um, finding the perfect partner for your RAS project. Yes, we have the uh, uh, fish. It's olive flounder. It's uh, it's not the pelagic fish. Uh, we have tried to find the right technology provider for for years, but the most uh, uh, the technology providers work on salmon and uh, like the pelagic fish, but we are a different species. The shift has a long. Uh, collaborative experience for flatfish like turbot and soles in Europe. Uh, they designed the raceway tank for turbot and soles, and then also farming uh, density is quite high uh, in, in their systems. Uh, normally in Korea and now the uh, flow system, and uh, we can uh, grow about 35 kilo per square meters. Uh, we're talking about square meters because they're dwelling fish. Uh, and But uh, they can uh, farm about 70, 80, uh, 70 to 80 uh, kilo per square meter. So it's a, almost the production uh, density can be doubled. And then also their system is no biofilm on the surface of the raceway tank, so which is much easier uh, for cleaning things. And also they have the their own technology uh, for MBBRs. Uh, they separate the aerobic and anaerobic uh, part separate. So it's much more efficient. So we can grow uh, more fish in certain uh, density and then certain area of the land. Ujai, this is Brian Vinci. Welcome to the podcast. We're thrilled to have you on. Uh, and it was interesting to hear about the different technology providers that you were looking at, the different areas, and and how you selected um, SIFT. But 
Can you tell us a little bit about your own background, um, how you got started in this area and um, how you got to where you are today? Yes, uh, actually, I'm not I'm not so familiar with the rat system. I'm, my background is the genomics of the, of the fish uh, and then also the, the breeding technology for fishes. Uh, I worked in Norway uh, for 15 years, uh, mainly for breeding and then also some field work uh, for tilapia and salmon. So I'm not quite familiar with the rust system, but then I came back to Korea and then the old system is a flow through system and the, the huge problem with the fish disease and also some mortality basically, and then also environmental problems. So the government and the all industry uh, want to change the system, but uh, there is no uh, clear or uh, proven technology for RAS uh, in Korea. So I looked around outside of the, in the Korea uh, to find the right technology for Korean system. Over the many years, uh, from uh, 2018 actually, uh, I met uh, many people uh, outside and also uh, attended meetings and then but I couldn't find any good companies or uh, technology providers for flatfish. So it was a kind of a uh, difficult time. But uh, finally, I found a shift for flounders. The flow-through industry in Korea has disease problems. Um, does that mean that they do flow-through by pumping water from the ocean through uh, tanks? Or how does that work? Yes, they just pumped in the water from ocean. The farms located just the waterfront, and then they pumped in the water to tank, and then they just discharge water to back to ocean. Uh, so they pump in a lot of the water. So size of the farm, usually I think annual production is less than 100 tons, uh, maximum 200 tons, and small size of the farms. But they... They pay a huge amount of the energy uh, cost, and also uh, they pump in about 1,000 tons of the water per minute. And then uh, the farms is attached to each other. So uh, one farm has any uh, disease outbreak, and then just a matter of time, uh, all farms have the same kind of disease outbreak in their farms. Uh, so. The big problem, so so mortality is now up, up to 60%, or uh, some people say that 70% even is the mortality rates from install uh, stocking of the, uh, the juveniles uh, to uh, harvesting size. So it's a huge mortality and the cost a lot, but still they make some money. So the business is up and going, uh, so it's uh, kind of the, uh, strange, but the uh, it's a high mortality rate, and also they feed mostly wet pellet, uh, moist pellet. So the uneaten feed uh, goes out to ocean. Also, there's a lots of the uh, uh, environmental problem in outside of the farm. Uh, so it's, it's uh, so we have to change the system. Yeah, that sounds like a story that we've heard in other industries that. We're raising fish in open systems and have started to employ recirculation systems to address problems of, you know, the cost of pumping water or disease that comes in with the incoming water or the uh, effluent having 
solid particles or nutrients uh, going out. So it, it makes sense uh, what you're explaining. Just one quick question. You mentioned that most of the farms are relatively small, 100, 200 tons. Um, but when I was doing my research for the episode, I saw that it, at least in 2007, that Korea was producing over 44,000 metric tons of olive flounder. So are there like a whole lot of small farms or is, is yes, that how? Yes, and now about 700 farms, small farms for olive flounder. 44,000 metric tons is the, is the maximum uh, about 10 years ago, but now it's less than uh, 40,000. Uh, last year, we got 37,000 tons, so much less than before because of the high mortalities. Oh, I see. Well, you know, just looking at the trends, you know, going back to 1980s, it was a very small number, three to 4,000 metric tons. So even at 37, it's it's grown by a factor of 10, which is which is incredible. There must be a wonderful market for um, olive flounder in uh, in Korea in that area. Let's talk a little bit about your facility. The It's the Blue Gen facility. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. So have you started the construction of the facility? Yes. Uh, we finished about 70% of the civil constructions, uh, the house. Uh, and then uh, we are ready to install the uh, rush system inside. The current estimation is we're going to have 144 or raceways in three modules. So each raceway is 30 meters long and then uh, four meters wide, something like that. And then, then we're going to install 144 uh, raceways. Uh, we're going to uh, grow about 70 kilo per square meters. Estimated target the production going to be about 2,000 metric ton per year. Owl flounder, obviously a marine fish. So the the early life history, the the breeding, the spawning, and the the early rearing is is such a critical and actually, as you as you well know, very very difficult uh, part of the process. Do you have your hatchery facilities already constructed, or or will SIFT provide those as well? We have the uh, broodstock. Uh, uh, we have bred for eight generations. Uh, we have broodstock, and also. Uh, this uh, construction uh, includes the hatchery and then uh, grow out facilities. The hatchery and also uh, broodstock management uh, part, and also all uh, breeding experience or the breeding experiment space for breeding, and then everything included in the in the one site. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of ras farms, uh, especially salmon farms, where they have the early rearing and then the. And then the grow out ras side, you've mentioned uh, the number of tanks and the density. Um, I, I was curious, how deep are those raceways that you'll be rearing the olive flounder in? Yeah, we haven't uh, finished the designing, but uh, we talked about with shift uh, water depth going to be about 25 centimeters, so up to 30 centimeters. So it's very shallow water. Because they are dwelling fish, so they are not uh, swimming around. So it's okay to keep the water depth low. Uh, also, I visit the sea farm in Netherlands. Uh, there's turbo farms, uh, rust turbo farms. They keep the water depth about 35 centimeters. So I think the turbo and olive flounder is quite similar in physiology and also all uh, farming aspects. Uh, so... Uh, we can keep the water below 30 centimeters. 
that's uh turns into a, actually a really high density if you have 70 kilos uh per square meter and uh, the depth is only you know uh, 0.35 meters uh your density would be quite high so um you must have to process quite a bit of water in the rast to maintain the oxygen and the low ammonia and things like that um in terms of the uh the eight generations that you've been breeding um is that uh, that that's already a blue gen facility, or is that affiliated with the university, or how does that work? No, that's on uh, blue gen on on fish, and then uh, we are keeping those fish in uh, flotilla system now. So we have the, another farm uh, in Korea, and then uh, as soon as we finish this construction, so we're gonna move to this rice system. Yeah, I know the, the density is uh, quite high. Uh, the main thing is that we have to treat the water very well, uh, very efficiently, and also uh, oxygen supplies and everything uh, going to be in order. Uh, that's why we want to install the test bed first, not everything the ones. Uh, we have a small test bed first, and then we run the test bed to see what we have to fix and what we have to improve to reach that density. I read with the, with the shift, uh, they have the, the small size of the test bed first, and then we can move from there. Uh, that's what the, we plan now. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense to prove it out and, and then make the, any adjustments that you need. I, I was just quickly doing the math in my head. And, you know, it, it, in salmon, um, we do um, I don't know, up to 100 kilos per cubic meter uh, routinely and it's it's not an issue when we were raising arctic char um, we got up to 140 kilos per cubic meter and those fish handle the density really well um, and i know that uh, we've done a, a podcast episode with a fish farm in iceland matorka and they're a, a, a hybrid reuse farm and and they run up you know 150 kilos per cubic meter so it's it's definitely doable um i was just uh i'm not super familiar with the flatfish uh, culture and, and especially in ras so um, uh, no doubt that you could achieve what you need to in terms of uh, treating the water as long as you have a, a solid treatment system. Um, the farms that you are aware of in, in Europe are um, herbit farms. And my understanding of those farms is they actually use large trickling filters. And you mentioned you guys will have a moving bed. So that's interesting. Um, I think the there's one farm that's actually not too far from Matorka in Iceland that is a flatfish farm, but I don't think it's recirculating. It's a it's a Stoltz seafood farmer, I think, is um is what it is for for turbot or sole, one of the two. So um excellent. Uh we're interested in also learning about the market for olive flounder and um and the development of of that uh, production throughout Asia. So I'll turn it over to Jean. In a previous conversation we had, Wujai, uh, you described about how the aquaculture in Asia is still quite underdeveloped. Because you're bringing in blue gen and this commercial size RAS technology into South Korea, what does that mean for the market? I haven't visited many uh, Asian countries, but uh, I, at least I went to China and Japan and Vietnam uh, Indonesia and those countries, mostly they have the old uh, flotilla system, uh, the same kind of problem they have. But the market is very good. Uh, in the Asian market, 
as one of the biggest market in world, and then also the lots of consumption rates uh, and per capita uh, in Asia. And I'm, um, for example, uh, Japan, Korea, the consumption consumption rates about uh, 70 kilo per uh, capita, so it's quite high. Uh, market situation is a uh, very good, uh, but the production uh, is not uh, so. Uh, I mean, uh, matching the demands. The problem mainly, uh, again, is the high mortality uh, because of the disease, and also uh, then they put uh, too many fish. Uh, so over farming densities, also there is no eco-friendly farming. Uh, so high-end market requires always good product, but uh, the suppliers have always uh, a low-grade uh, fish uh, with a high um, antibiotic consumptions and then also lots of the chemicals they use. Uh, so the market situation is good, but the supply is not so good. That's the main point. So mm -hmm. we want to improve these kind of situations. So we want to uh, supply the clean and high standard product. The market for also the system is the demanding high these days. Again, they want to change the, the flow through the system to RAS. Uh, so there is a system suppliers is uh, paying lots of attention to this market too. We are also working on this part. Uh, once we run our uh, project up and running uh, very well, and then we want to start supply the rush system to other farms. Okay. Well, I'd like to take it back to the beginning for a minute and let's talk about how you got the idea for BlueGen. From what I understand, you got the idea and kind of started the project in 2013. Is that right? Actually, when I was in Norway, uh, indirectly, I worked in Korean fish farming industry. I had seminars and also uh, I had a lot of meeting with the uh, uh, farmers in Korea. Uh, and I saw the potential of the uh, fish farming business in Korea, aquaculture business, is uh, because the market is so good. Um, the farm gate price for olive flour is uh, sometimes $20 per kilo, and the lowest time about $12 per kilo. Market situation is very good. but. Uh, Again, the margin for farmers is not so big at the moment because of high mortality. Uh, so I had an idea, uh, if we fix this uh, high mortality and then also high standard product we can produce, and then there's a huge potential for uh, farming business in Korea. So I decided to move back to Korea uh, to start up the, the BlueGen with the breeding technology and then also the rush system uh, to to produce a high, high standard product. Uh, and then uh, we try to reduce the production cost. Uh, at the moment, about $10 uh, per kilo or slightly less than uh, $10 at the moment, but we can uh, reduce uh, to five to six dollars per kilo uh, if you, we remove this uh, high mortality part. Uh, so uh, it's a, a good good uh, investment and also good business potential in, in fish farming business in Korea. That's mm -hmm. why I started the uh, BlueGen. Yeah, and your background is interesting because your background is in fish genetics and genomics and breeding programs. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your experience in Norway and how um, you 
and your career there and how you came kind of came to grow in your expertise? Uh, I got my PhD in, in University of New Hampshire in USA, and then I moved uh, to Norway uh, to work in Chenomer, uh, a company name is Chenomer in Norway, uh, located in Oslo. Uh, the company uh, provides uh, breeding technology to uh, major uh, salmon farmers in Norway, and then uh, also they have their own fish, tilapia. I worked on breeding program, especially for genomics part uh, in this breeding program. And uh, I saw the uh, big potential in the uh, Korean market. Breeding itself, uh, I worked in the genomic part uh, and that together with uh, the quantitative genetics team uh, together. And then it was a good matching. I mean, uh, to improve the, the quantitative genetics part uh, with the genomics, uh, we applied for uh, state-of-the-art uh, genomic technology, uh, uh, DNA chips, and uh, and that's, uh, we improved the efficiency of the uh, breeding program a lot. Uh, so the, we at least we can improve 10 to 15% uh, higher uh, efficiency with the genomic technologies. Uh, and then the, we brought, uh, I brought this kind of technology to Olive flounder, and then we are running at the uh, moment and eighth generation of the brewstock. Mm, that's very interesting. So, if I got the timeline correct, you were um, you graduated from the University of New Hampshire in the U.S. Um, around nineteen late nineties, I believe you mentioned. Uh, nineteen ninety four. Nineteen ninety four, and then you moved to yeah. Norway right after. After my. Post, no, uh, after my postdoc uh, in, in New Hampshire also. And then I moved uh, in Norway in 1998. 1998. And you were there f- until 2014, you said. Yes. And were you working in Genomar and working with their breeding programs there for that whole time? Yes. Okay. That's amazing. So 15 years with Genomar in Norway before you struck out on your own and developed your own breeding program for unique market, but a really, it sounds like a, a really great opportunity market for olive flounder in Korea. Yes, that's correct. So you got the idea for, or you established Blue Gen in 2013 while you were still in Norway, and then officially moved to South Korea in 2014, about a year later. And then I believe it was 2017 where your pilot project began. Is that right? Yes, correct. And at that time, you already had your own brood stock of olive flounder? Yes. Uh, the life cycles of olive flounder uh, takes about uh, one and a half years. But before I moved to Korea, uh, I uh, indirectly worked on a breeding program for uh, olive flounder. So we started much earlier than the pollution start. Uh, I mean, the breeding program started earlier than, uh, yes. So for the pilot project that you launched in 2017, for that pilot stage, what are the things that are you're looking for that can tell you that this would become a successful commercial scale project? Actually, there's no uh, pilot project in 2017 uh, because in uh, 2017, we started buying the land uh, to build uh, this farm. 
uh, and then we had the subsidized from government to establish this rust farm. Uh, but in the same time, so we had a, a breeding program in the flow-through system. So, and uh, it's not kind of a pilot project, but we started business 2017, which means we start buying the land and also uh, start the process to get a permit, a license, and those kind of things. In the flow-through system, we uh, still uh, we were running the breeding program, the producing the hatcheries, and then uh, also we compared our fish to others. This kind of the uh, R&D project, uh, but we haven't done any actually pilot complete the pilot project uh, uh, until now. That's why we try to get uh, the testbed pilot project first in this project. Uh, we're gonna install the test bed by by the summer and then actually uh, we want to run this pilot uh, test bed uh, over the uh, fall and then we can we're gonna expand this uh, uh, test bed to a full scale uh, over next year. Mm, okay, I see. So we reported in November last year that BlueGen received, and you mentioned it a little bit right now, about the equivalent of about $3.3 million um, U.S. dollars from the South Korean government to go towards the construction of your facility. But you're also in the middle of you know, raising capital funds, right? I think last I checked, the company has raised $9 million so far. Um, can you talk a little bit about the capital raising process, um, what has that been like for you? Yes, uh, the building, uh, the civil uh, building uh, constructions is itself, uh, we need at least uh, about uh, 18, 18 million uh, US dollars. Uh, we got the subsidized from government about 3.7 or something like that. And then also we raised the uh, fundraising of the nine million. Uh, so we still need uh, more money. Uh, at the moment, uh, we we are working with uh, some investors in Europe and the US. Uh, it's going very well. Uh, we're gonna close this this fundraising uh, by next month or oh, uh, this month March, and then we will close this the fundraising. Uh, so far, it's good for the government of South Korea to provide $3.3 million as seed money. What does that mean in terms of the government's desire to support okay, uh, agriculture? Government also see the problems with the flutter system. Uh, but uh, there is uh, no model farm for rust system uh, in olive flounder. Olive flounder is the number one species in Korea. We have to drive this uh, trend uh, to rust and then uh, there must be one uh, model farm uh, and then other people uh, come to see and then uh, this a good system that they want to change. Uh, they will actually put the money to change their systems. Uh, we are in the front line and the government supports uh, BlueGen uh, to show uh, people uh, this is the right system. Uh, so that's why uh, the government supports uh, BlueGen and uh, nothing else. Um, they want to see really the successful rush facility in Korea. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems like a good example of government support, but also a hope for progressing the aquaculture industry in Korea. 
Yes, I think so. Do you I feel so. a bit a... of pressure being um, a pioneer for that market? Uh, well, it's a, a kind of the responsibilities, uh, some some sort of responsibilities, mm-hmm. also some pressures, of course. But uh, I feel that uh, we have to do this uh, anyway uh, because uh, we are in front line and then I feel the responsibilities to to society. So uh, it's a it's a not not a big pressure, but uh, I'm enjoying this kind of uh, pressure. Wu Joy, it's an exciting project, and uh, I'm sure you have lots of things to worry about, uh, including the capital raise that, that you're closing, um, and the construction of the facility, and then the pilot uh, or the the uh, the initial growing. Uh, but what about your operators? That you know. The other folks that we've talked to on the podcast who are starting companies um, have uh, mentioned that, you know, building their team and uh, training the team is a huge part of the process. Um, Do you find that as well? Yes, uh, that's a very good point. As I told you earlier, uh, there's no rust farm in Korea. There's no experience and also knowledge people uh, staffed in Korea available at the moment. Uh, but the good thing, so the other point, and the olive flower is Korean species. We have all technology, everything we can supply from Korea for fish itself. But uh, the facilities is, is different. Uh, no one actually in Korea uh, has a good experience and the knowledge on rush system. But I have the list of people to work on um, blue gen and then uh, to want to or to want to work on pollution and also this rush system, the young guys. Uh, so I want to put uh, those guys in a training program with a shift. I can send these people to Norway and also uh, the shift step that will run our facility until the harvest time. Uh, so we work together and then all technology transfer and also the learning period is going to be quite short uh, until first harvest. Uh, so uh, there is a, a program uh, to train people and also uh, to shorten the learning period. Yeah, that's excellent that uh, SIFT is willing to provide essentially on-site operation um, during that first cycle and then help train the operators for the future. That's wonderful especially when it comes to, you know, species that hasn't been grown in RAS all that much, like a la flounder, which I really want to thank you for your time and sharing your story about Blue Gen today. Uh, It's been a really interesting conversation, and uh, we want to thank you and wish you all the best of luck. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Brian and also Jane. Uh, uh, We can talk later again also if there is anything we can share. Yes, absolutely. Um. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us about the early stages of this project. It's a very exciting venture indeed. And I think the advantage of BlueGen is really in your expertise in genomics and the process uh, you've had in perfecting the fish for performance for RAS over the eight generations that your broodstock has currently gone through. So we'll be keeping a close eye on BlueGen and your project. and. Uh, we'll hope to talk about your progress again soon. Thank you very much. All right. That was a great interview, I think. Uh, I really enjoy when we get to talk about unique projects and unique species. Uh, where in the world do you think we should go next for unique, 
unique brass projects, Brian? What's on your wish list? Yeah, well, Jean, you've done a great job uh, reaching out to folks in uh, various uh, geographies and various species. So that's a credit to you. Uh, l- looking for uh, the other and up and coming type of projects like uh, Blue Gen here, which was a, a great episode here from Blue Jai. Uh, in terms of other projects I'd like to talk with or talk about, anyways, um, I do have a couple. Um, I think number one on my list is to talk to Sarah Rademacher at American Unagi in Maine. Mm-hmm. Um, Sarah Rademacher started her project at the Center for Cooperative Aquaculture Research in Maine and uh, grew it out of the incubator there into her own RAS facility. I think it was completed in September of last year, and it's a totally different uh, beast in that you know you capture elvers as they return from the ocean and capture them for culture in the wrasse. And I think they grow them up inside the wrasse and then uh, harvest them for sushi, uh, sashimi as well. So so that's super interesting to me to see how that project came about and uh, the challenges and the opportunities there. Also, uh, shrimp wrasse, again, I think this is an area that is just going to explode and growth wrasse uh, uh, shrimp, uh, whether it's in Germany. I'd like to talk to the folks in Germany who have um, said they have a large-scale successful project and are, are talking about building it out throughout Europe. And then, um, of course, uh, Robin's Macintosh in Florida with CP Foods, the homegrown shrimp uh, division of CP Foods, mm-hmm. is planning their first harvest. I think it's coming up in March, the end of March. And um, you know, Robin's is a, a legend in the shrimp culture, um, uh, innovating in Belize and um, and now innovating in Florida and land-based wrasse uh, for shrimp. Uh, so yeah, th- those are the ones on my wish list. Do you have any on yours? I like those. I mean, let's go with your list. I like them. <laughs> uh, I got to get to work on those. Um, but the the next one that we have, we'll tease a little bit for our listeners here. We've got Rodrigo Mezerhain from Blue Star Foods, who we'll talk to next. And he's doing something interesting with soft shell crab. So uh, I can't wait for you guys to hear that as well. Well, you know, RAS provides a lot of opportunities for various species. And like fish culture itself, it started with kind of the easier species, you know, um, in terms of trout and salmon and tilapia. These are species that were relatively easy to culture. A lot was known about them. And then their spawning in early life history wasn't overly complicated because, you know, in the, in the case of the things like trout and salmon and char and other cold water species, they're their eggs and their young are actually quite large. And um, in comparison to a, a species like olive flounder or marine species, when and the larvae are really, really small, like just a few millimeters, mm. and you have to feed those. Um, and that's a whole nother culture system, rotifers and, and things like that. So, um, but the RAS does allow you to control the environment for all these species. And so, uh, you know, crab uh, and other species that can benefit from having a controlled environment. I think one of the issues with blue crab is uh, keeping them from cannibalizing each other. So mm-hmm. uh, be interested to, to speak with Rodrigo about how they're going to address that. Yeah, absolutely. 
As always, our show notes for this episode and all our episodes are available on our website with links to articles, photos, and more extras. Go to rastechmagazine.com slash podcast. That's R-A-S-T-E-C-H magazine.com slash podcast. Please consider sharing this episode with your network and on social media and follow us on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss a new episode. Thanks again to our sponsor, OxyGuard International, secure, grow, evolve. Improve your production with tailored and targeted technology. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>